that that at times can put your heart at ease. But um, but anyway, let's let's stand and and sing alive. children sing a song of liberation the God of our salvation set us free death where is thy sting the curse of sin is broken the empty tomb stands open come and see he's alive 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 hallelujah alive praise and glory to the Lamb Alive, 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 hallelujah, alive forever, amen. Let my heart sing out for Christ the one and only, so powerful and holy, rescue me. It won't hurt me now, because he has redeemed me. No grave will ever keep me from my King. I'm alive, 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 hallelujah, alive, praise and glory to the Lamb. Alive, 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 hallelujah, alive forever, amen. Alive, 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 hallelujah, alive, praise and glory to the Lamb. I'm alive, 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 hallelujah, alive forever, amen. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy of a praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing, worthy is a mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy of a praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing, worthy is a mighty King. Worthy is a lamb, worthy of a praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is a mighty king, worthy is a lamb, worthy of a praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is a mighty king, worthy is a lamb, worthy of a praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is a mighty king, worthy is a lamb. Worthy of a praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is a mighty king, alive, 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 hallelujah. Alive, praise and glory to the Lamb. Alive, 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 hallelujah. Alive forever, amen. He's alive, alive. Alive, hallelujah, alive, praise and glory to the Lamb. Alive, 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 hallelujah, alive forever, amen. He's alive forever, amen. He's alive forever,
Well, good morning. You can be seated and welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. And it's been an incredible week. This week we had the One Day of Hope event. It's a community outreach event. Um, and we hosted the rally Thursday night. And then we had uh, people from our church serving there. And then at the same time, we also had a team of our church serving at North Coffee Elementary School for one of our final Serve Coffee County uh, uh, projects. And man, it was just a great weekend of uh, First Baptist being involved in the community and not just attending church, but being the church. And so we're grateful for that. And so we welcome you here this morning. If you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you're here and we would love to get to know you. One of the ways that we do that is through the guest registration card located in the pew rack. You can take that and just fill it out there's a place if you want to receive our newsletter, or if you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, later on in the service, when we take our offering, if you just drop that in there, that's just one of the ways that we get that back. That's our little mechanism there. As we continue to worship this morning, uh, I want you to stand up and take a moment to greet those around you. Say hello as we prepare our hearts for worship. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies If you're trying to fill the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, a saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. all search for the light of day in the dead of night we've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight we've all run to things we know that just ain't right there's a better life there's a better life if you got pain Taker, you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, a saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. receive it if you can feel it somebody testify if you believe it if you receive it 
If you can feel it, somebody testify, testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or save him, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you need freedom or save him, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. You unravel me with a melody you surround me with the song of deliverance from my enemies until all my fears are gone I'm no longer a slave to I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into a family. Your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God.
child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. What a powerful name it is. 
Jesus Christ mine. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. You have no rival. You have no And amen. Thank you, John. Thank you, musicians, for leading us in worship today. We've got a group of about 60 students and leaders at uh, Fall Retreat this weekend. They're worshiping this morning and be back this afternoon. And so we want to pray for them that the lives of middle schoolers and high schoolers will be changed uh, on this retreat this weekend. I want to take just a moment to tell you about three new Christian Development Program classes that begin this Wednesday. And I want to encourage you to take that next step of involvement and discipleship and invite you to come to one of these. Level 1, Cindy and I will be teaching a five-week class uh, entitled New Member Orientation. It's for new church members. We ask every church, new church member to go through this class within a year after you join, orient you to our church. But it's also an open invitation to people who are not yet Christians, not yet church members, you're seeking, you're thinking about it, you got questions, no obligation, no pressure, because we go over the basics of Christian doctrine, Baptist distinctives, how to grow as a Christian, how to have assurance of your salvation, as well as the introduction to our church. So I invite you to come, 6.30 Wednesday night. For those who've had that, Kathy Bogle will be doing a five-week class, level three, ministry, discovering and doing it. And we want you to find your place in ministry, and it helps you find your unique shape, S-H-A-P-E. Each letter stands for something. You'll learn about finding your shape for ministry. And then, uh, for those of you who've had the core classes, uh, Byron Locklear will be teaching a five-week class on the Daniel prayer, going deeper into prayer in the book of Daniel. So I encourage you to come Wednesday night. Today, we're concluding a 12-week series of sermons 
that uh, Jake and I have been sharing from the book of Nehemiah. And today's the final chapter, Nehemiah 13. I hope that you, if you've been with us, have learned something about the book of Nehemiah. And that if you didn't know about it, that it'll be a part of your experience and your Bible knowledge as you go forward. The theme that we've been sharing in this series is the question, what does God want me to do with my life? Because the application of Nehemiah is about God's will, God's purpose for you. And we saw in the first half of the book that God led Nehemiah to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem that had been destroyed by the Babylonians in exile. And so we saw the application there. The answer to that question is, God's got work for you to do. God laid on Nehemiah's heart a burden for rebuilding those walls, and that was his work, his assignment, his job, his mission. And God has assignments for you, and if you'll be sensitive to his burdens and his leadership, he'll give you work that will fulfill you and guide you into your purpose, his purpose for your life. We saw in the first half of the book that there's going to be opposition to that. Three whole chapters about opposition to the building of the wall. You're going to have some opposition. You need to push through that if you're facing that kind of opposition. Now, we saw the importance of prayer in doing the work of God. You need to rely upon prayer like Nehemiah did. Then in the second half of the book, Nehemiah rebuilds the community within the wall of Jerusalem, rebuilds the lives of the people. And so the answer to that question, what does God want me to do with my life, even more basic than the work he has for you to do, is the relationship he wants with you. And, he, and so he has not only work, but worship for you. And we saw the importance of the Word of God. They spent a half day reading the Word of God as they gathered together. We saw the importance of confession of sin. They spent a quarter of a day, another time, confessing their sins. We saw the importance of making and renewing commitments to the Lord. And so in these assemblies in the second half, we saw that God's purpose for us is a relationship with Him. And today we come to the final component of that relationship with God that Nehemiah reveals to us. What does God want me to do in my life? God wants you to be faithful to the end. The last chapter in Nehemiah is about perseverance. It's about finishing the race. It's about long-term obedience. Because what we're going to see here, even though the people in Nehemiah's day made commitments, they didn't follow through on these commitments. And what God wants for you is that ongoing walk that you don't quit, you don't give up, you keep going, you persevere to the end. We learned from Nehemiah 13 that Nehemiah was governor for 12 years. We start in Nehemiah 13 verse 6. All this was going on, while this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. So if you remember chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, he heard about the walls being broken down and he got this burden. So this is 12 years later, the 32nd year he served is for 12 years there in Jerusalem. And then he had to go back to his job as cupbearer. The king gave him a period of leave, so he returned. Now, we don't know how long he stayed there until he came back again. But we know that Artaxerxes ruled for eight more years, so it couldn't have been more than eight years. But So a period of a few years, Nehemiah was gone from Jerusalem, back at his job in Persia. And then it says, last part of verse 6, Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. And so he'd been gone a few years. We don't know exactly how many, 
But while he was gone, spiritual conditions had deteriorated. A spiritual decline had set in. And he comes back to find that things were not in good shape spiritually. And he tells us in chapter 13 four areas that he found here where spiritual life had declined. First of all, the temple was neglected. Still in verse 7 it says, Here I learned about the evil things Elishib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. Now if you remember from our earlier chapters, Tobiah was an enemy of Nehemiah. He had tried to attack Nehemiah with his armies. He had shared fake news. He had tried to to stop the rebuilding of the wall. And now, while Nehemiah is gone, the priest has let this guy live in a room in the temple that was supposed to be dedicated and purified and set aside for the storing of tithes and offerings and for the temple furnishings. Verse 8, I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Nehemiah got back and found this and he threw his furniture out into the street. He kicked him out of that place. Think that sounds harsh? Well, there's a guy named Jesus who would later do much the same thing when he would cleanse the temple as well. And this is sort of a preview of that. And verse 9, I gave orders to purify the rooms and I put them back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. So Nehemiah sort of cleaned house. The second area that had declined was tithing had been neglected during his absence. Verse 10, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So the temple was understaffed because the people weren't tithing. The Levites and musicians derived their living from that. They had to leave the temple, try to go back and and farm to make a living. And um, so in verse 11, I rebuked the officials and said to them, why is the house of God neglected? And I called them together and stationed them at their posts. And it says in verse 12, all Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. And so Nehemiah Uh, reinstituted that tithing that had been neglected. We've seen throughout Nehemiah that interspersed in the book are these brief, I call them Roman candle prayers, just abrupt, brief bursts of prayer. And here there are four of them in this last chapter. It's fitting this book just ends with a, with a, a burst of prayer. And here's one of those, verse 14. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. The next area that had fallen into decline was the observance of the Sabbath. Third area, verse 15. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, other kinds of loads. They were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. I warned them against selling food on that day. Verse 18, he said, didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. He says, you're repeating the cycle again. This is why the walls were broken down in the first place. This is why God judged us. And are you going to go back to that kind of sin? And so Nehemiah had him close the gates on Friday night when the Sabbath began. And some people, merchants, came and camped out outside the gates and thought, well, maybe, maybe we can get in and sell some of our 
our uh, stuff while they're, uh, while they're not looking. And so he posted guards at the gates. And eventually they quit coming because they saw Nehemiah was serious about protecting the worship of the people, this observance of the Sabbath. And then here we got in verse 22 another one of those prayers of Nehemiah. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. The fourth area that had declined in Nehemiah's absence was that marriage was compromised. In verse 23, moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And so remember, God had commanded them not to marry the neighboring people because they were idolaters, they worshipped idols, and they would bring the people of Israel into compromise, and God had clearly said not to do that. And so now he finds, verse 24, half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other people and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. This was critical because if they could not read Hebrew, they Aramaic, they would not understand the word of God, would not be able to read it. The spiritual life of the people would be gone. They're being led astray. And he says in verse 25, I rebuked them and called curses down on them and I beat up some of the men and pulled out their hair. Man, Nehemiah's tough, isn't he? I mean, wow, he's serious about this stuff. And he beat them up and pulled their hair out. And uh, he said, I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you're not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or your daughters. Verse 26, was it not because of marriages like this that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned among the many nations. There was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him a king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by these foreign women. And so the book ends. I'll read you one more of these prayers. Here's the last line of the book. Very fitting. It is a six-word prayer. Remember me with favor, my God. Nehemiah committed to a life of prayer and dependence upon God. Well, what can we learn from this final chapter? What does it teach us about faithfulness to the end, about perseverance, about God wants me, if God wants me to finish well, that's what this chapter is, is telling us. What, what can I learn from this chapter about that? Let me share four applications. First of all, your spiritual life will tend to decline without continual attention. Here's the first application about, about perseverance. You're going to have to give your spiritual life some attention because the natural tendency to it is to decline. Isn't that true of everything? Second law of thermodynamics says that every system is headed toward entropy, disintegration. Isn't that true? You clean your house, does it stay clean? No, it tends to get dirty just on its own. You weed your flower beds, do they stay pristine condition? No, they tend. Your spiritual life is the same. It's going to tend to decline. These people did not give attention to the Sabbath, to tithing, to the, the areas of their spiritual life, and it, the natural tendency is to decline. You've got to give it attention. Anything worth having, you've got to have attention. I'll give you a confession. <clears throat> when I was a kid, I had a pet turtle. It was a popular thing when I was a kid to have these little green turtles about that big. A lot of kids had them. You bought a terrarium, had some water, had some land. You fed these turtles. They weren't good pets. They didn't do anything. They didn't say anything. You know, they just sat there in their shell. I don't know why we had them. 
but I had one of those turtles, and I have a confession to you. I thought it was great at first, and I'd put that little turtle food in there, and I'd change its water, and I'd talk to it, and, and all this stuff, you know. But, you know, after a while, the novelty wore off, and you know what happened? I didn't give it as much attention, forgot to feed it some. This is a confession story. My turtle died. I was not a good turtle keeper. Let me tell you, your spiritual life's like my turtle. Some of us start well, and we're so excited that Jesus has saved us, and then we coast. Are you coasting? Because if you're coasting, you're declining, because systems tend to to disrepair unless there is attention or maintenance. Are you maintaining your soul? You don't want your soul to be like my turtle. And so your spiritual life needs that maintenance. What's God saying to you about where you are? I'll tell you a second application from this chapter about being faithful to the end. It's more difficult to restart your spiritual life than to maintain it. It is more difficult to restart your spiritual life than to maintain it. So the best thing for you is to stay in church throughout your college years and not have to start and restart that life. The best thing for you is to stay faithful to God, close to Him, because it's more difficult to restart. Now, it can be done by the grace of God. You can restart. It's just harder. It's called the law of inertia. For example, if I was going to push this piano, this piano is on rollers, and I've moved it before I can push it, I'm not going to really push it now because I can't get over there to push it this way, and if I push it that way, it'll... It'll go off the edge. But if I were to push it, what's harder, getting it going or keeping it going? It's harder to get it going, isn't it? Because if I push into it, I've got to put a lot of effort just to get it moving. Then, if I were going this way and got it moving, uh, straight, 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 and then I would just be, you know, like this. You know, have you ever pushed a car and you can just sort of keep it going then after you get it going, right? Same thing's true of your spiritual life. It's harder to restart. Inertia says, a body at rest tends to stay at rest unless there's a force that acts upon it. So, so don't make starts and stops into your spiritual life. If you'll keep that going. Now, the law of inertia works in our favor. You know, when you start tithing, it's not that hard to keep tithing. It's the starting. You know, when you start in church, it, it, it's hard to get into that routine. It's not as hard to keep it. Then you're just sort of like, you've got the thing going. Then if I've got that piano going, then my problem is, whoa, I've got to get around here to try to stop it because it, it's, it's going to tend to keep going almost on its own, right? That, that can work against you or for you. But l- let me just say to you, you know, if you've stopped, you can restart. If you've stopped in your prayer life, if you've stopped, in, you can restart. But it's going to take some more effort. But if you'll continue that, You can build momentum in your spiritual life that it becomes a pattern, a habit in your life. Tell you a third application from this chapter. Because you you see, it it took some hair pulling and some stuff throwing out to get this thing restarted, right? You don't want that in your life. Here's the third application. Leaders can set the tone for a spiritual group. Why did it decline? Why did it get better? The word is Nehemiah. Nehemiah. When Nehemiah was gone, the people did not have enough leadership on their own. But when he came, he cared about what they had tolerated. He had a passion, and he set the tone for reviving Sabbath observance and tithing and the purification of worship and the holiness of marriage. 
man, you need to be a Nehemiah. Why don't we set a goal that I'm going to be, I want to be like Nehemiah. You're a leader, if dads and husbands and moms, wives, you're a leader in your home. You can set the spiritual tone for your home and what your family may be needing is Nehemiah leadership, courageous, bold leadership that has passion and that cares. And you can be that kind of leader. You can be a leader in your workplace, on your team, in your dorm, wherever you are. Now, there's a difference between a positional leader and a functional leader. A positional leader needs to lead by, by saying some things. We're not going to tolerate this in our family, in our church, in our connection group. A functional leader, that is, you don't have a position. It's you're, you're on a team, sports team. You're in a dorm. You're in a class. You probably got to lead by example. But you can lead by example and show convictional leadership. Leadership is key to a group's spiritual health. Would you say in your family or wherever, God, you have put me in my place of business, either by word like Nehemiah or by example, I want to help set the tone of spiritual leadership. And I'll do that by my example or my words. I want to be a passionate, courageous leader like Nehemiah. I want to share with you a fourth application about finishing to the end, about perseverance that we glean from this chapter. And that is, we need the gospel to enable us to be faithful. Now let me share with you where I see that. This chapter is perhaps the last chapter in the Bible chronologically. Chronologically, this is perhaps the last event in the Bible. You understand the Bible is pretty much chronological in the historical books, and then the prophets are listed after that. To get it in strict chronological order, we put the prophets into their historical setting. Malachi is the last of the prophets. Where does Malachi fit into this outline? Malachi is addressing the exact same problems as Nehemiah 13. He either comes right before Nehemiah came, he's setting the stage for Nehemiah, or he comes in this time when Nehemiah has gone back to Persia and tithing and sacrifices and worship have declined and he's setting the stage for his return. Either way, Malachi comes just before this chapter. This is probably the last word in the Old Testament. After this, in 432 B.C., there's a 400-year gap of no prophecy, no recorded revelation of Scripture until the coming of Jesus. This sets the stage for Jesus and what it shows us, the commitments they made in Nehemiah 10, they couldn't keep in Nehemiah 13. In our own strength, the law tells us what to do, but it does not give us the power to do it. We need something more than saying, be good, do this, don't do that. We need the work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ in our lives. And this chapter sets the stage for that. Part of the Old Testament purpose is to reveal to us that we can't keep the Old Covenant with its exterior law and we need a new covenant with its law written upon our hearts by the power of the one who would cause us to be born again. Let me show it to you in Romans chapter 8 verses 3 and 4. What the law was powerless to do. That's where we are at the end of Nehemiah. What the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The demands of the new covenant are still there. But the ability to keep them is different. It's not just an external list of rules, but it is a new relationship with God on the inside that changes us. We're transformed. You see, what I'm saying is, ultimately, we need more than attention or inertia or leaders. What we need is the transforming power of Jesus Christ, and Nehemiah sets that up for the New Testament. And if you have thought that this thing of religion was just doing these things that I've talked about. I've got to try to be a better person. I've got to give some money. I've got to go to church. I've got to, I've got to worship on Sunday. I've got to do these things. And it, religion is just me trying to please God and to be a better person. You've got it all wrong because you can't do it. And Nehemiah reveals that you can't do it. But if you'll come to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of God's plan, the one who perfectly kept the law, and became the fulfillment of the law for us, then in him he'll deposit his spirit in your life. He'll write these requirements on your heart, and you'll have the power to persevere. You'll have the power to, to, to finish to the end. You'll have the power to do what the people of Nehemiah's day could not do in their own flesh. We can do by the grace of God through his spirit. You need Jesus. And, I, and the gospel is about transformation. Same kind of holiness that God requires, but that holiness now is produced by his spirit working within us. And that's what Christianity is all about. That we cannot do it, but there's a God who loves us as sinners, and he enables us if you'll receive him by repentance and faith. I want to challenge you to say, God, with your spirit, with your help, I'm going to be faithful to the end. I don't know what the future of my life will hold, but I want to finish well. I don't want to quit. Do you? I want to, I want to honor the God who has saved me, and I, I don't want to be like the people in Nehemiah 13, and coast, and decline, and have to have somebody help me restart. I want to finish to the end. I want to show you a couple of places in the New Testament, Matthew 24, that parallel the circumstances here of, of Nehemiah. You see, Jesus is in some way like Nehemiah. He came and he showed us how to live, and now he's gone away, gone back to where he came from, and one day he's going to come back and he's going to see how we're doing when he comes back. Just like Nehemiah. Led the people in commitment, went away, came back. Jesus is left, and one day he's coming back. And in Matthew 24, verse 12 and 13, it says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, these are the words of Jesus, the love of most will grow cold. That's a sad verse, isn't it? I don't want to be like the most, do you? Jesus has loved me so much done so much for me. I don't want my love to grow cold. The love of most will grow cold because of the increase of wickedness. But, verse 13 says, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved with the power of the Spirit within you. You can stand firm to the end, and that's what he calls us to do. And then later on in this chapter, verse 45, he says, who then is the faithful and wise servant 
whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. What would Jesus find in our lives when he returns for us? I don't want to be like the people of Nehemiah's day. But God is my help. I want him to find me faithful. Can't, we have, have control that we'll always be successful, but we can be faithful. And if you failed, you know what you need to do? Get back up. It's going to be a little hard to push that piano at first. But you, you, you get into that. You push it, and you'll create some momentum in your life. And then you keep giving attention to your life, and you keep that momentum going, that when he comes, he may find us faithful. What does God want me to do in my life? Above all, God wants me to be faithful. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I want to pray that you will help us to learn the lessons from your word in the book of Nehemiah. And as we leave it, especially today, we learn, Lord, that you desire long-term obedience. You desire not just empty words and commitments, but you desire us to follow through. So, Lord, we want to pray if some of us, our love has grown cold or we've, we've stopped, it's going to be hard. Help us, Lord, to restart our spiritual lives. And Lord, enable us by the power of your spirit to be transformed from the inside that we'll be different people. So if there are people here today who need to know that religion's not just keeping rules, but it's knowing you, may they be drawn to you in salvation today. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song of invitation during this time. It's your opportunity to respond to God's Spirit. If you need a church home, you could walk forward while we're singing. Meet me here. We'd welcome you into our church. If you want to follow Jesus as Savior of your life and be baptized, we'll have some folks being baptized next Sunday. You could join them. You could do that by today, just walking forward. If you want somebody to pray with you about some areas in your life where you've not been faithful or about restarting your life, somebody would be glad to confidentially pray with you. Just come to me if you want somebody to pray with you. Let's sing together. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with the song of deliverance. From my enemies Until all my fears are gone I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into a family. Your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. 
child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And thank you. Please be seated if you will. We're going to worship now by giving our offerings. If you're a, a guest and you had a guest card, let that be your offering. Just place that in the offering plate. Thank you for coming today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather here today, Lord. We thank you for your grace that, uh, Lord, when, if we do grow weary, that you will help us get started and restarted again. Lord, that you will give us the strength to carry on. Father, I pray that uh, as we come to a time in the services, uh, we give back a small portion of what you've given to us, Lord, with our tithes. I pray that you'll use them to further your kingdom. Lord, to you be the glory. Amen. I've been trying to make sense the sorrow that I feel holding out to life is the only thing that's real. I've only scratched the surface, barely had a taste, but just a glimpse draws my heart to change. And one side of you lays my sin to waste. I don't need to see everything, just more of you. Take it all, take it all away. Magnify no other name. Open up, open up my eyes to you. Take it all, take it all away. Magnify no other name. Open up, open up my eyes to you. My sight is incomplete and I made you look small. I've been staring at my problems for way too long. I realign where my hope is set until you're all that's left. But just a glimpse draws my heart to change and one side of you lays my sin to waste. I don't need to see everything, just more of you. Take it all, take it all away. Magnify no other name. Open up, open up my eyes to you. Take it all, take it all away. Magnify no other name. Open up, open up my eyes to you. Oh, God, be greater. Then the worries in my life be stronger. Then the weakness in my mind be louder. Let your glory come alive, be magnified. God be greater. 
Then the worries in my life be stronger. Then the weakness in my mind be louder. Let your spirit come alive, be magnified. Be magnified. Take it all, take it all away. Magnify no other name. Open up, open up my eyes to you. Take it all, take it all away. Magnify no other name. Open up, open up my eyes to you. To you. Just a couple quick announcements before we close. I uh, want to let all young adults know from the age of 18 to 29 that this week for Radius, we will be doing Radius on the Road. So tomorrow night at the Amphitheater by the Rec Center at 6.30 p.m., we'll be having a worship service. Now, this is a great week because a lot of students are in on fall break. And then just a, just a little change in kind of the timing and everything else. We're just trying out something new. So 6.30 at the Rotary Park Amphitheater. We're doing Radius on the Road, so we invite you to come out and be a part of that event. It's going to be a lot of fun. Along with that, we also are needing volunteers for Upward Basketball Evaluations. And so uh, registration will be on Monday, October 23rd, and Friday, October 27th. Uh, both times for these days are 5.30 p.m. to 8. And so that will be in the gym. Shonda's needing some volunteers for that. If you'd like to sign up to volunteer, there's a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center. So let's close in prayer together. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, as we check in and um, look at this book, Nehemiah, God, I pray that we would honor our habits continually, continually. But Father, also I pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us to live out the life you call us to. And Father, as we step into our mission field this week, shine brightly and point others to you. We ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom,